Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, January 17th by Pastor Rod Heppel. This is the third sermon in our sermon series entitled The Joy of the Lord, the Book of Philippians. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. Welcome back to our third sermon in Philippians, where our passage today, Paul is going to exhort this church in Philippi to behave in such a way that it protects the unity that they have in Christ and the witness that they share. And I just think that that is a message that's very timely for the church today, both for our church, Sardis Fellowship, and for the church universally, um, because we're living through these difficult times of COVID. But first, let's quickly review some of the important pieces of information relating to this letter that Paul writes, which helps us better understand um, what's going on. So it's about 10 years prior to Paul writing the letter that he and his companions came to the city of Philippi, preached the gospel, and a church was started. And as you've just heard read in in Acts 16 by Carol, that church was born out of some pretty spectacular situations, including some extreme persecution and suffering for Paul and his companions. It's, It's because of the nature of that kind of amazing start and the sacrificial beginning that it had that this church family has a special place in their heart for Paul, as well as Paul for them. Uh, His deep appreciation for this church comes out of the fact that this church has continued to support his ministry. And so he expresses his affection freely when he says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now last week we saw that the church in Philippi was concerned for Paul when they heard that he was in prison in Rome waiting for a trial date before the emperor's court. He was there to give a defense of the Christian faith, the very faith that he'd been spreading all over Asia and Europe. Now they're concerned because they they know that Paul is most likely in a difficult situation that he's suffering. Not only that, they don't know the outcome of the trial. I mean, it could be life or it could be death. Now, much to their surprise, when Paul writes to them, he informs them that it's not exactly the way they think. He's actually rejoicing there in prison because the gospel is advancing, not in spite of his chains, but because of his chains. So much so that everyone in Caesar's palace has heard why Paul is in chains. And some of them have come to faith in Jesus. And even the local believers there in Rome have become very bold in sharing their faith because of Paul's testimony. But now in these verses, these four verses that we're going to read here, Paul turns his attention away from his situation and he focuses it on the Philippians. He's afraid for them. He fears that the enemy is creating division amongst them and that this division will not only disrupt their unity, but also their witness. The very witness to bring people to salvation. So let's read these verses in Philippians 1, 27 to verse 30. Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, he doesn't mention the exact situation that this church was facing. We are not 100% sure what is happening when Paul gives them such a stern warning. We do not know. But what we do know 
is that he is concerned for their unity. Because he says here in this passage that he wants them to stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So there's something going on that is threatening their unity, and Paul wants them to be one. He does mention in chapter 4 that there's a disagreement between two prominent women in the church. He says, I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. So these two women are women that Paul respects. He's, they've worked alongside him, but they're fighting. No, we don't know what it is that they're disagreeing about, but there is a division. And that division could cause an internal threat to the unity in that church, just like it would in any church. I mean, we've seen this over the years where you have two prominent voices within the life of a church. And when there's not a reconciliation between them, it can cause people to take sides. And before you know it, the church is split and the enemy has gained a victory. But it seems that Paul here is talking about something else. Um, in these verses, he's referring to what seems to be an outside threat that is coming against the church family. That's why he's telling them to stand as one without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So it seems like they're opposing from the outside. And that what they are facing is similar to what Paul went through in Philippi 10 years previous, when the church was first started, and what Paul is now facing in Rome. All of it for preaching the gospel. So in essence, the Philippians are running the same race that Paul is running. That's what verse 30 is saying. Paul says, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. It, it sounds like this church, for the sake of the gospel, is facing some kind of negative pressure and injustice of some kind or just outright persecution. But it's an evil attack of the enemy and it threatens their unity. The reason why Paul can make such a strong appeal to them is because he's gone through this himself. In fact, he's still going through it. That, that gives him the right to say, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because he's lived it. And, and he's still living it. So what was it that they witnessed 10 years earlier when Paul and his companions uh, first planted that church there? You know, they were going about peacefully worshiping at the river in prayer and all that when a slave girl decided to follow them. She had an evil spirit and she persisted in calling attention to Paul and his companions saying that they were, you know, followers of um, God the Most High. Paul, having enough of this situation, turns to the girl and casts out the evil spirit in Jesus' name, setting her free from that plight in life, but also incurring on themselves the wrath of the owners who were concerned about the money that they were now going to lose they, they, they said that they were concerned about the customs that these men were teaching, but they weren't. They were concerned about the money they were losing now that this slave girl would no longer be fortune-telling. Those owners twisted the truth of the situation, got the crowd all riled up, and the magistrates, they make a pressured decision to have Paul and Silas severely flogged and, and then just thrown in prison, right? Turned over to the jailer to guard them carefully. So what does the jailer do? He chooses to take them and put them in stocks in the inner part of the jail. Now, the inner part of the jail was not a very pretty sight. It was the lowest part of the cells, and it was reserved for the worst criminals. The sewage from higher up levels would run down and collect there. It was disgusting. Their backs, having been whipped, were bloodied and torn apart. 
And then they were there wrestled into wooden stocks, and these were not comfortable. You can imagine just how much pain they were in. Now, the story goes on to say that while Paul and Silas were in prison during the night, they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They were praying and singing? Really? I mean, they could have just been quiet that night. No one would have thought any less of them. Or, you know, they could have even been moaning in pain, which probably they were. They could have been complaining about the unjust treatment and that sort of a thing. But somehow, by the power of God, they took it to a whole other level and they worshipped God in their suffering. That's what those Christians in Philippi knew firsthand about Paul's faith. No wonder this church had a special place in their heart for Paul. And don't forget that one of those brothers in Christ in that church was the same jailer who had done this to Paul and his companions. So it's with this understanding that Paul could wag his finger of warning and say, whatever happens, only do this one thing. In other words, above all, remember this. Well, what is it? Remember to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he had every right to say it. This is not just a word of advice that Paul is giving to them. It's an emphatic warning to do this one thing, to let this one principle guide their words and their actions to guard the testimony of Christ. It doesn't matter that we don't know the exact nature of what it was that they were facing. You know, in fact, it's probably a good thing that we don't know so that we don't disregard its instruction as if it doesn't apply exactly to us. We're tempted to do that at times. It does apply to us just as much as it did to them. It sounds like Paul is saying it doesn't matter the situation. In other words, whatever it is and whatever the outcome of it is, you, as followers of Christ, should conduct yourselves in the same way. In other words, be consistent no matter the outcome, which is what? Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Let that guide you. And when I read those words, I, I just couldn't move on. I had to stop and ponder that verse. Whatever happens, someone wrongs me, an unfair situation is brought against me, my, my rights are being violated, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's interesting to note that when Paul says to conduct yourselves, it's the only time that he ever uses this verb in all of his letters. The more common verb that he uses is translated to live or to walk. So, you know, he says things like to live in Christ or to walk in the spirit, that kind of idea, but not here. So why is Paul being intentional about the use of this verb? Well, it literally translates like this, to live as citizens, or more fully, to live as good citizens who do their duty. Now, remember, the people of Philippi are very proud of the fact that their city is a Roman colony. They live in a military town that has special privileges. Now, this is a big deal to their identity. Although Philippi is located way east of Italy, east of Rome, as a Roman colony, it has the same uh, treatment as if they were living on Italian soil. So the laws of Philippi were the laws of Rome. There were numerous benefits for them from having this status. So it seems obvious that Paul is using this citizen language on purpose to make a point. And this is what it is. If they are proud of their Roman citizenship and therefore know how to conduct themselves as good Roman citizens, then how much more important that they know how to conduct themselves according to their heavenly citizenship. 
Jesus is now their Lord, and his kingdom is greater than Rome's. Therefore, conduct yourselves in a manner that is in keeping with that kingdom. Live as a good citizen of heaven, above everything else, above anything else. That's the idea. In fact, certain translations have chosen to keep the citizen language in the English version. So as an example, the New Living Translation incorporates the whole idea when it says it like this. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Paul is saying if you're proud of your national citizenship, which motivates you to act in a proper way for a human emperor, then how much more should your heavenly citizenship motivate, motivate you to act in a proper manner for Christ, who is your new emperor? You know, later in this letter, Paul in 3.20 spells out this comparison and this contrast when he says, their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our heavenly citizenship trumps our earthly one. Therefore, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, you might be wondering how many times I repeat that phrase in one sermon. But this week, I want you to be saturated in that one thought and to wrestle with it as I have been. When a neighbor is a jerk again, when a colleague at work slanders your name, when someone misrepresents your faith, how, how about when our government says that we have to wear masks indoors or, or, or we're not allowed to gather to worship as we did during this time? It's hard. It's frustrating. Whatever happens, let's conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you were with us last week, you might remember that I told you I couldn't shake another verse, verse 21 that Paul wrote, where he said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's just such a strong statement of unwavering commitment to Christ. And, and I asked this if we were able to actually make that statement about our own faith. And then this week, I'm studying for today's sermon and I can't get past this one verse, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's like two weeks in a row that Paul lays down the gauntlet. He's saying, you want to follow Jesus? To live is Christ. To die is gain. You, you want to follow Jesus? Conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Um, sorry, Lord, exactly when am I to do that? Whatever happens. You know, we can't just gloss over these words that we're reading. We have to stop and wrestle with them if we're ever going to own them for ourselves in our lives and in our times. There was something that threatened the unity of that church in Philippi. That's why Paul implores them to stand in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, the NIV's translation here speaks of that oneness in the spirit. And it's a good translation. Um, but some translations have taken a little different angle where they say standing together with one spirit and purpose. So it fits as well the context, but our oneness we know is because of the Holy Spirit. We don't make it, but we keep it. So Paul says in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit binding yourselves together with peace. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit, 
so as to form one body. We are one in Christ by nature of sharing one in the same spirit of Christ. And, and the Holy Spirit has placed us into the family of God. COVID has brought a situation whereby the church may become divided if we do not intentionally make every effort to keep the unity that we share in Christ. And while there is much unknown about COVID and the way in which it maybe should best be approached, let us be guided by Paul's words here as a plan to keep the unity that we share in Christ. So the plan is this, whatever happens, to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That's our plan. Sardis Fellowship, I know that we are living through difficult and challenging times. I know that frustration levels are high and fears abound, but let's do our best to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Next week, we're going to actually look in chapter 2 where Paul lays out some of the specifics about how we should approach the threat of disunity. But this week, I just want us to wrestle with this one verse. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, maybe you need to take a little sticky note and write the verse on there, maybe a few times, and you can post it on your mirror in your bathroom and you can put it on your fridge or put it in your vehicle. That's maybe where I need to keep mine. Or, or how about beside your computer or your tablet? That it might, this thought might guide what we write and post. You know, I want these words of the Apostle Paul to be at the forefront of our mind in every situation this week. In our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, whatever happens. And I'll be honest, it's too easy for me to read God's word or to hear a sermon preached, to go away and to forget about it. Or, or I let myself off the hook way too easily. I let myself speak the way I want to speak. I let myself act the way I want to act. And I don't submit myself to the Holy Spirit. But to be a citizen of heaven is to say yes to Jesus, which is to say yes to his voice in my life. For I will either be shaped by the voice of the Spirit or by the desires of my flesh. I don't always know what the right thing to do is politically. But I do know what's right spiritually. And I want my words and my actions to lead people to Jesus and not away from him. Paul modeled something in prison that caused the hardened hearts of soldiers to bend their knee to Jesus. And you know, it was because Paul lived his life in a manner that was worthy of the gospel. He lived it as a citizen of heaven. And he was carrying out his duty serving Jesus Christ the King. He lived out, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is there about my attitude and my actions during COVID that could be used of God to cause a person in our community to want to draw near to Christ? That's what I'm looking for. And so with all sincerity, the Apostle Paul could pen words like this in 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. 
I'd like to lead us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, I would pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, we might be able to assess the times in which we live and know your leading that whatever happens, we would conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus laid down his life for us, and I pray that we would be willing to live in the same spirit as Christ. We desire you to keep the church of Jesus Christ united, both here at Sardis Fellowship, around Chilliwack, and around the world. We desire that there could be a testimony that we are a people who bear not just a hope for this world, but a hope for eternity. So convict us, teach us, show us where we need to walk in a manner that is in keeping with our citizenship in heaven. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.